generally speaking, uh, if we're gonna if we're gonna talk, you know, talk real, and and be uh, candid and and express the truth yes. of things, uh, I'm probably not gonna answer your question. Um, I'm gonna divert and delay and, and right. avoid. And so let's game plan what we're gonna talk let's, about. Let's let's game plan. What okay. are your objectives for this conversation? Okay. What do you hope to do? Give it a gander. You know what's what's interesting so far? I noticed that the tone and tenor of the of this particular episode mm-hmm. is is seemingly focused on the knots. No, um, no, no. You're not entertaining on stage. No, you, you've not. You haven't gone to Montreal. Have I said not? The, uh, no, no. It seems. It just seems. No. Implicitly, the ca- the casual listener might be saying. Hot breath. What's up, hot breath averse? This is your host Joel Byers, and you know what time it is. Hot breath. <gasps> Welcome back, all my hot brethren and sister, and welcome aboard all our new listeners. You are now part of the Hot breath Averse, and this is the perfect one to start with, ladies and gentlemen. This is one of those interviews that took really over a year to actually come into fruition, but it couldn't have happened at a better time. I was taking over Creative Loafing's Instagram and thought this would be a perfect interview to document punchline here in atlanta is one of the most historical comedy clubs not only just still in existence but that has ever existed and my guest today is one of the owners of it and also a comedian and i think you guys are gonna really enjoy this interview if you've been listening to me since episode number one now this being episode 98 you can see in this one, I've um, I've hit a new comfort level in these interviews. I think you will enjoy. There's a lot of funny moments in here, but also a lot of lessons learned. So thank you for spending your valuable time with us here. I um I may be talking a little bit. I'm I'm just trying to sneak this in. It's late. I'm about to go on a road trip up to Philly to do some comedy with um hot brethren Ronnie Jordan and Tyler Chronicles, and I am trying to record this intro while my wife sleeps in the other room so don't want to wake the baby while the baby records the podcast so thank you for spending time with me i really think you're going to enjoy this i enjoy doing it so let's get to it shall we all i'll say is that if you do enjoy this or find this to be a nice time capsule please do share it just post on social media you know, just tell a friend, hey, I heard this awesome podcast called Hot Breath. It's based out in Atlanta. It's absolutely incredible. Or don't, or leave an iTunes review. Really, I'm just rambling at this point. So let's get to it. If you enjoy it and all the hours I spend with these interviews, I'm taking a couple minutes to let the world know is not too much. So now that I've held you up enough, let's dive in, hot brother and sister. And as we always do, in these hot breath episodes, and that is by inhaling a hot breath. Oh, with okay. Jamie Bindle. I was like, I mean, I have an excuse. I'm never booked here, but yeah, you, yeah, yeah. I don't know. What? <laughs> fighting words. This is gonna be fun. No, no fighting words here. There's no fighting words. It's just reality. But I'm not the only one. It's it's cool. But that's why I wanted to sit down with you just from a club owner standpoint, because 
getting into clubs is something that's difficult in general and it seems kind of elusive and like you work there one time and you're like oh i had a great weekend and they're like yeah we should have you back a year later send an email and like hey do you remember me mm -hmm. like what is what is so that uh have we started we have started we're technically started we're started this was a cold launch right <laughs> picked up the conversation midway through <laughs> yeah okay is that okay we can start no back. i didn't know i assumed that we were gonna start with like a hey we've started <laughs> This has begun. We're officially on the record. We're on the We've record. We've launched the because everything else that I've said previously the was lights. off the record yes. and completely on background. Yes, you not knowing where the lights are is off the record. No, I know where the lights are. They're oh, okay. they're, pro they're featured prominently throughout the ceiling. I just got excited. We this interview has been in like in, in play for, for like time? over a year. It's going to be very anticlimactic. Yeah, probably. I, it, it's all that's all on you really right. on how you know how this what's going to happen <laughs> we're going to get to the end of this and i'll be like so what do you think and you'll be like it was a it was a pretty good episode yeah right and yeah, i'll be yeah. like so you're gonna have me back and you'll be like oh yeah no we should definitely have you back <laughs> and then it'll be like a year longer and i'll send an email and you'll be like yeah no we've we've, we've moved on to other we've moved on to other guests <laughs> there's a lot more guests to pull from in atlanta than there are comedians though so you could say a lot of clubs definitely play favorites oh, and like no they find what? okay so what is the let's talk work. about let's so let's game plan what we're going to talk about let's, let's game plan what okay. are your objectives for this conversation okay what do you hope to do are this is this interview about you is no. this interview about comedy yes okay here on here on hot breath podcast mm -hmm. i've been doing it for almost you know i've almost 100 episodes mm -hmm. now and I interview people. It's a big milestone, 100 episodes. It's very exciting, right? yes. You have a, a 100th episode guest I that you're targeting. I recorded a live episode with uh, Rob Hayes last week. Oh, that's right. I saw that online. Yeah, yeah. so uh, I'm going to drop was that, that the actual? Oh, that 100. was the 100th. It'll yeah, be okay. released on 100, okay. but we recorded it while he was in town. Because uh, he was also okay. the first guest ever on First Hopper. and 100? Yep. So there are only 99 other guests yeah. that are worth, actually, would that be 90? I'm bad at math. But it's a so weekly you, show. One hundredth episode minus two episodes, so there were ninety-eight other guests. Yeah, and then you're done, and you restart it. <laughs> it goes on to infinity from here. This is now like a weekly broadcast. This is lap two. Yeah. I mean, this is clearly you 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 planted a flag and said these are the these are the uh, parentheses. Okay. Right. <laughs> we start with Rob was one bracket. We end right. with Bra as the other bracket. That was it. So now your 101st episode needs to also then be your 200th, and that could be kind of your thing. Oh. That that you that you basically these are the Hayes interviews. Okay. Right. And then and then this is the whomever is 101 through 200. All right. Years. So maybe we can work on a partnership with this podcast. You got some good ideas. You're spitball in here that's uh, good. no i'm it's just kinda... a random i'm trying out new stuff i mean i'm trying out new stuff in this <laughs> working conversation out new material. yeah i'm working out working new, out new, new interview new bits. Stuff. i'm just learning i'm just trying to get a feel of what the what the plan is yeah you know? well so i want to make sure you you get the episode that you want everything about this episode everything about this podcast is learning everybody okay. I interview i want to learn things from and then in turn my guests and listeners will learn from as well and your fans as okay. well so so who, what are your favorite podcasts that you like to listen to well, this is my podcast. This is my favorite podcast. So well, I'll, outside I'll ask that, some that's questions. Like, that's like the class to be like, did you vote for yourself for class president? And you'd be like, oh, my God, I totally forgot to. And I lost by two votes. 
I love how far we just veered from. No, no, we're good. We'll we're go there. The we'll, we'll let we'll let Jamie Bendel set the set the motion here. I <laughs> no, know, I I caught you off guard. I'm entirely <laughs> uncertain that we have begun the interview. So I'm still not certain if we okay, have or not. No, this but is all going to be fixed in post. <laughs> no, this is all keeping it in. Okay, this is a Jamie Bendel exclusive right here. No, 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 no. People exclusive. have never heard you like this. No, everybody knows me exactly this way. And on stage, arms crossed on stage, just uh, slightly rambling every now yeah. and then, just meandering. Yeah. I've, uh, so, okay, uh, is that was that a po- was that a positive? No, the or was confidence. That okay, no, but the words are not necessarily it. positive words. No, right? well, rambling. That's not you, when you're when you're speaking about somebody's style. I'm not a I'm not a jam band comic. You'd be like, oh my god, you should have heard his extended riff on absolute nothing. <laughs> That set dragged forever. It was majestic. The the confidence you exude on stage is clearly seasoned. You've been doing comedy since, what, like, 92? You know, Joel, I have to have that confidence uh-huh. uh, because it's the only thing that protects me from the – or insulates, not protects, but insulates me mm-hmm. um, uh, from the negative, you know, slightly snarky comments of my peers within the Atlanta comedy community. Oh, okay. Right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I know. I get it. I understand. So I have to, you know, seem as though I'm comfortable in that space. Oh, are you not comfortable? No, I'm totally fine in the space on stage. Yeah, Yeah, no, no. Okay. uh, But 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 uh, the inference was that, um, you know, for maybe the other comedians, sometimes on the show, it's not as pleasant an experience. But you're aware of that. Uh, I'm, I'm, I, I am like the uh, Dean Smith four corners of uh, <laughs> set management, right? Okay. Where, okay. where um, and and maybe what you're suggesting is that sometimes other comedians, sure, sure, cool. Other comedians uh, would prefer that there was a uh, shot clock on my set, where they'd be like, uh, stop burning the clock. Like just at some point, take a shoot shot. the ball, shoot yeah. the ball, shoot the ball, shoot the ball. And Let the rest it. of us rebound. Right. Yeah. Now I make a high percentage of shots. Right. Uh-huh. So it's just there. You're suggesting uh, for those that are uh, listening, but maybe less familiar with my particular style on stage, mm-hmm. is uh, my set sometimes has a sixty vote threshold to use a Senate analogy. Um, you, you don't always necessarily get a motion to proceed, right? That they're, that they're the passive observer could think that um, there was maybe an element of filibustering that was going on. Okay. Um, in the in suit the, and everything. Yeah. In, the, in the setup of the material. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So as a club owner, though, like you, you have freedom to do whatever you want, though, as well. So it's almost is um, it like a power it, thing, no, or do you want no, more laughs? No, 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 I no, mean, no, what no. Is, um, I would say, generally speaking, uh, if we're gonna if we're gonna talk, you know, talk real, and and be uh, candid and and express the truth yes. of things, uh, I'm probably not gonna answer your question. Um, I'm gonna divert and delay and, and right. avoid and you yes. Know, I'm really trying to give actually shot a perfect. It's shot clock. Take a shot, shot. Bendel. You gotta <laughs> shoot the ball. Um, no, the reality is is that I actually don't all things being equal, really don't go up much uh, since we've switched clubs at all. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so there was a some time period in certain things at the club where for the most part, um, when on stage as a comic, um, I respected the time period that I was given like any other comic was, you know, basically be given. Um, on the hosting an open mic night or something like that, that's a, that's, that would be a little bit of a different scenario. Um, but 
you know, beyond that, on a regular Friday night show, if it was a host set, I would do host time. So what, when you started comedy, was the whole goal, because you started early 90s, right? Is I that, did. I started in 1991. So was the goal when you started, like, I'm going to become a big time comedian or was it like, I'm going to become a club owner? Like what was your aspirations uh, going into so comedy? So the aspirations going into comedy were, were, and silly, but because, but it's the truth. Um, so I came from New York, came to Atlanta, uh, was an undergrad here in college and, at Emory at Emory. Mm -hmm. And wanted to be an extra in movies. They shot uh, Jumpin' Jack Flash here, and like there was this, oh, it's this big movie scene that's coming to Atlanta. I thought, hey, you know, it'd be kind of fun to be an extra in movies. And so, uh, really backed my way into comedy, hmm. trying to be an extra on a movie set, <laughs> um, which never, never actually worked out. So, still to this day, I've never been an extra on a movie set. So wow. it is my unfulfilled comedy dream was to be <laughs> random guy at cafe table as the cargo screaming guy, you know, if, if assuming that's a job that extras do. But yeah. Didn't you get sent up to Montreal super early? Uh, I got went to Montreal you visit, super I didn't know early. If you got went up there. No. Uh huh. You just no. went up there and no. gave it a gander. You know what's what's interesting so far? I noticed that the tone and tenor of the of this particular episode mm -hmm. is is seemingly focused on the knots. No, um, no, no. You're not entertaining on stage. No. You, you've not, you haven't gone to Montreal. Have I said not? Via, no, no, it seems, it just seems no. implicitly the ca the casual listener might be saying. The, I think I think the casual listener is hearing a local comedian interviewing a prominent club owner, not even just in Atlanta. Again, seems snarky. Punchline. Doesn't seem snarky. See, now I'm complimenting you. Yeah. No, I'm a just prominent saying, okay. club owner. I'm just, Punchline I'm is a historical pillar of comedy, sure. and you're a major player in that and in the comedy community. And I know we were both cross paths in Montreal last year. Mm -hmm. Like, you're a mover and shaker in this game. So I think what people are hearing is a younger comedian looking at an older comedian slash club owner. Now I'm an older comedian. Yeah. See, you're so Joel. sensitive. What is, it? is it every word? <laughs> no, I'm, just, I'm listening. I'm active listening. I'm engaged in the conversation. I, I'm just happy you're taking shots, yeah, okay? Yeah. I'm no, just happy I am shooting the ball, I am shooting the ball. So what I was what I was trying to veer into was the context for Jamie Bindle on stage and like where the comedy grew from and all that. Uh, so okay, so let's go back to that then. We'll we'll condense that. This is the uh, untold so story. I, yes, the untold story. Dun, dun, dun. Um, I went signed up at an open mic night at the first place that said I could get up on stage. I went and performed there and had an experience much like any other person who's been on stage and enjoyed the experience, which mm -hmm. was I should be doing more of this. And um, thankfully, I had some opportunities to do that. At that time, there were three full-time uh, Tuesday to Sunday, Wednesday to Sunday kind of clubs that were in town, the, the Punchline uh, the Funny Bone, which then subsequently became the Improv, the first time the Improv oh, was in town. Interesting. Uh, and then a comic cafe, uh, and and the Comedy Act Theater. So there were really actually four full time clubs, which became Uptown. The Comedy Act Theater. Comedy Act Theater uh, closed briefly uh -huh. and then reopened um, with similar, you know, some semi similar configuration of partners as Uptown, and then Uptown then became the Uptown that's on Marietta Street gotcha. currently. Um, but it was kind of like anything else. So there was a ton of local 
people in town doing open mic nights. You'd go around, you'd sign up. It was, it was a little bit more of the old-fashioned style of you actually really needed to be there to, to sign up, and then you'd wait for the list to come out, and then you'd go to a payphone because it was really pre-cell phones, <laughs> as silly as that sounds, to call your buddies and be like, I, got, I made the list, you got to come out. You uh -huh. know? Uh, and had the good fortune of, of having good relationships with those clubs and having an opportunity to get up on stage. I was kind of a, there was a handful of us that sort of functioned as house MCs of a sort at one of the clubs, which was nice. Um, which club was that? That was a common cafe that was off of Delk Road, and uh, which was actually owned by my now partner at that time, my, but is now my partner, Chris DePetta. That was Chris's club at oh, that time. Oh, awesome. Um, and got out on the road, started working, you know, doing the things that one does to try to advance their career, uh, taking almost every gig which crossed your plate, you know, to try to keep developing as a performer. Mm -hmm. And what I was struck by was how many of the people who I was working with, so I was 20, 21 years old at that time, how many of the comedians I was working with seemed older than me that were in early, mid-30s, right, or older, and were trying to manage their lives over the telephone. They were fighting with a spouse, they were trying to discipline their kids, they're doing all the things that any person who travels for a living would do, and they're trying to do it in the context of being out on the road doing a gig. And I thought, this is a tough spot for me. I'm not, mm. I'm not sure that this is really what I'm wired for. Uh, so I was getting done with college, and I decided that I needed to go see what Los Angeles was like um, that was the place that I decided I wanted to go over New York. And so I applied to law schools out there, was fortunate to get into a law school out in, in Los Angeles. It's Pepperdine. Pepperdine. And Malibu. And uh, Let's Go Waves. And, uh, <laughs> which, by the way, if you ever have a chance to apply and get in, mm -hmm. I would highly recommend going to Pepperdine because uh, it is a ridiculously beautiful campus. I'm sure. Um, and actually very uh, comic drive time friendly. So mm -hmm. it's really not too bad. I started out living on the valley side um, of Malibu Canyon in Calabasas, and it was a quick, easy ride down over Laurel Canyon into West Hollywood where the clubs were and whatnot. Uh, so I went out to Los Angeles and was law student by day and comedian by night, and then summer break would come, and I'd go back out on the road and you know, work gigs and whatever. And, and after three years of that, felt comfortable that I had kind of scratched that itch and answered that question, which is, I think, an important one, which was, where does comedy fit in the grand scheme of things? Right. And is this really the thing that I'm supposed to be doing? And if I'm not on stage, and, and hopefully for people who are artists, right? We've all, we all know people in our lives for whom they would say, if I wasn't doing this, I don't know how I would find happiness in life. And for as much as I really love being on stage and I really love entertaining an audience, I know that there are other things that I can also do that bring me fulfillment and happiness. And that in the construct of L.A. or in the construct of comedy generally, so perfect analogy, mm -hmm. right? And I hope that this is, this is uh, understood in the way in which I offer it. It's not uncommon that a lot of the audition stuff that comes through the club, um, I don't do, right? And part of the reason for that is it may sound silly, but I feel like I haven't oriented my life 
around pursuing those kinds of opportunities. Hmm. And as a result, to continue to participate, even if it's in the audition context, it's potentially taking away a spot for a person who is orienting their life that way. Yeah. And so which so th that's where, you know, those don't those uh, don't go any place, meaning like there's no uh, scorekeeping on those kinds of things. Right. But from my standpoint, I feel like when those opportunities are presented, they should really be accessible to those people who are most committed to trying to maximize those, the advantages that are presented by those kinds of opportunities. You did the Just for Laughs one like a year or two ago. Yes. At that one. What was and, the goal there? But I was at a different venue. Okay, it wasn't I went here. someplace else. Right. I wasn't, I wasn't, you know what I mean? So <laughs> it was like I solicited and, and kind of, um, you know, threw my hat in the ring in the same way that any other person might. I right. wasn't saying like, oh, it's at my spot, so I get to be on the list. Like, oh, okay. You know what I mean? How that could come off. Yeah. 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 Well, touring so, around. If I'm going to go down, I mean, if I'm going to lose something, <laughs> I want to lose on a neutral, I mean, I want to lose on a neutral playing field, right? <laughs> you can't, you can't win in your own place and you can't really lose in your own place. Yeah. You got to go like meet at neutral, neutral territory. Everybody N lost that winner, night. Winner, winner, yeah. lose. Yeah. Everybody you know? lost that night. It's all right. It's all, but you know, so this is, okay. So you've done those kinds of. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. I really think that they're so necessary and so important for people to do, right? Because there are, there, are, there are times when we're asked as performers to execute. Yes. In an environment that's not necessarily the environment that we're most used to, mm -hmm. right? So you always wonder then, what is it that makes a particular joke work? Is it the person who's telling the piece of material, right? Is it uh, the setting, the venue in which it's being presented? Is it uh, the exact specific words that are being done? And I think the best pieces of material are those that are, um, can be flexed, so to speak, to fit whatever environment they find themselves in. Yeah. You know? Yeah, and I like, I like doing those types of events. Even, I mean, you do contests and you most likely won't win, but it forces you to edit and rise to the occasion and perform under a different type of pressure. So that's why I do them, just to yeah. get out of the comfort zone. And you never know. Right? Yeah, you never know. Yeah. I mean, you never know. Yeah. Some, somebody else may see a performer differently than the performer sees themselves. And, and you know, if you – it's important to have a clear sense of what it is you want, mm -hmm. right, and what it is you want out of – uh, your time on stage, right, or the material that you're presenting, or what you might be able to do with opportunities as they're presented to you, and it's easy not to think about that that too often and say, "Well, I'm just I'm just kind of doing the thing that's immediately in front of me," and not pick your head up and say, "Well, what path am I really actually heading down?" Um, so, you know, I having an outsider come along and say, "You may see yourself as X." but I really see you as why to sometimes listen to that and say, you know what, that person might actually be right, even though I've committed, you know, time and effort in, in, in X. What are some other kind of lessons you've learned over the years? Because, I mean, as a club owner and performer, I'm sure you've crossed paths with, I'm sure, the best of all time. Like, what kind of lessons have you learned over the years you could maybe share? Uh, well, so I, I, I would say that to a certain extent, our industry generally reward squeaky wheels, right? That people who are not shy about uh, speaking up 
about what it is that they want and how it is that they think they're going to get there. You know, mm-hmm. that, that generally speaking, that, that works on some level. I'm not necessarily saying somebody should be a jerk, but it's okay to be passionate about your talents and what you believe in. And I think, I think too often, uh, and the way you started the, the interview before we started the pre-interview portion, that was <laughs> the off the record background stuff. and yeah, uh, yeah. background. Yeah. Um, was that exact thing about when can I come back to the club? Right. 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 And so we have to ask for stage time, right? Mm-hmm. If we're not asking the club owner directly, or the, whomever the booker is directly, then at some point we're employing some person as a manager or an agent to be doing that on our behalf. And we should hold those people accountable, right? So if you're an up-and-coming comedian and you say, I'm, I'm making 10 calls this week or I'm making 10 contacts this week or whatever the number is to try to, to do stuff, and then all of a sudden you have an agent or a manager who's going to be working on your behalf in a similar way, then... Wouldn't it make sense that you would have the same level of accountability to them to say, I can make 10 calls on my own behalf, and I'm mm-hmm. just using that number arbitrarily. Mm-hmm. Can I not expect that you to make 10 calls on my behalf? Right? Why should, I, why should I expect you to do less work than I can do for myself? Right? When is it too much? Like how, what's like the, the frequency you'd be contacting? I'd imagine at some point it becomes like annoying. Like if, I, if I'm emailing you every week, like, hey, when can I get on stage? When can I get on stage? I'm sure that gets. Well, like- so keep in mind that some of it. it so it's obviously it's it's. Um, I think that if you were. I think if some person were to ask any individual club or booker. Totally. How far are you booking out or what is your booking criteria? It's important for that person to be honest in their response. So. It's easy sometimes as a performer to say, I don't understand why the show looks like this. This is the feature, this is the host, this is the feature, this is the headliner. But there are times where you do have to have some sense of this is, this is what works. And more importantly, it's what happens in, in when it's uh, up to the performer's control. Because if you, the other way to think about it is, when you stand on stage and you're in, in front of that punchline sign, right? Yeah, that Did historic, glorious, delicious punchline okay. sign. Um, we're essentially saying for those minutes that you're on stage, I'm kind of entrusting everything that that either means or doesn't mean to you. And that's true whether it's a, a place like the punchline or it's any other regular full-time club mm-hmm. or even a place that's a pop-up spot right, where it's an infrequent show or it's a monthly show, when you are on stage, whomever is responsible for that gig, that club, that establishment says, this person is supposed to be here and they'll know what they're supposed to do with the responsibility. So if you go up on stage and with that opportunity, blow it up because you decide I'm going to, you know, kiss off all of the audience and I'm going to demean the staff and I'm going to do everything else. Well, then you've done something to tarnish that in some way. And that can have a negative impact. And what really have you accomplished? Is there anybody who leaves that show and is then chatting with a friend at home or at the office or whatever it is being like, you know, we saw the most remarkable show last night. (laughs) Right. We were there to be entertained. There were some people who were maybe not as willing to go along for the ride as we were or others. 
and things got a little bit squirrely. Yeah. And then the comedian said this, right? Yeah. We can't wait to go back, right? It's, it's, it doesn't necessarily work that way. Um, so what we're looking, f I'm, so my, one of my daughters is uh, still playing softball, right? Okay, this is comedy related. This is comedy related. Okay. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm just, totally I'm making. Just yeah, trying no. to, I'm, I, like, I heard you had a lot of crossover. How do I get booked at Punchline? My used, daughter yeah, plays no, 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 softball. Yeah, no, no. But I'm using this. This, <laughs> this is this is a good. This is I think a reasonable analogy. Okay, right? cool. <laughs> and her skill set has coaches often say that she is a utility player, and it's intended as a compliment. The flip side of that is is that it also means that you have no specific place that you play. So when a coach says, coach, what do you need this upcoming season? And you say, I need a first baseman. Great, I have a utility player. And they say, ah, really looking for a first baseman, right? Mm -hmm. And so I think sometimes as performers, certainly for us from a local perspective, I need utility players. I need people who I can comfortably say, you can close this show or you can host this show or you can be the middle. And regardless of what you're, what needs to be done, you can have it done effectively. There have, been, there have been times and instances where somebody is comfortable as a feature and they really struggle as a host. Well, I could use them way more frequently as a host than I can as a feature. And so that may be a situation of why am I never getting back there? And you're like, cause I don't, I have fewer spots to put you in in that context mm -hmm. than I do in this other context. So. The question about how often is too much, how frequently should I be getting in touch with somebody, um, I think it's reasonable to ask, the, to ask the owner directly and say, so what's the hesitation? What's the, you know, what's the holdup of why I'm not getting, you know, whatever. And I'm saying that hypothetically because oh, the next question I, shouldn't be, shouldn't well, be, yes, well, I'm asking you directly. Well, yeah. I've done great here yeah. and get booked like once every six months or so. And that's like on a good year. So that's something I've been confused about. And I'm not the only comic. A sure. lot of times... And this isn't just Atlanta. This is can be known in comedy clubs. It's like, we'll work a weekend, have a great weekend, and be like, yeah, that was awesome. And then you just never hear anything else. And you reach out, and they're like, yeah, we'll, we'll get you back. And then never hear anything else. And right. you're like, well, what did I do wrong? Well, you know, candidly, sometimes, I mean, look, there, there are times where um, you can kind of wind up on runs with people, right? And a lot of times it's top of mind stuff. So, you know, we... Like Marcy and I, you know, who's our general manager here, mm -hmm. um, we talk all the time about who's hosting shows and who's featuring and say, who do, who do we want on this show? Who do we want on that show? And we kind of have a conversation. I'll throw out some names. She'll throw out some names. She'll say, can I go ahead and use this person? And, you know, I may say, well, I, I, I'm not sure that I like those people together, you know. Um, and then it can feel like sometimes where it's a little bit of a boomlet. And there'll be times where I will have just gotten an email from somebody the day before or the day prior or, you know, a text from somebody that says, hey, you know, what do you got going on? And they'll, and it will be a little bit of a top of mind thing. So, gotcha. from, again, speaking from a personal standpoint, mm -hmm. I, don't, I don't necessarily need um, a, a specific person's, a local comedian's to say, I'm available this week or I'm not available that week. And there are comedians all the there are comedians here in town who would tell you, I text them with some regularity and say, You around next weekend? No, I'm working. Okay. Sometimes no the no night harm, of. no foul. And sometimes the night of, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah. And it, it and it and that does happen sometimes. Like where yeah. there is a, you know, for whatever reason it kind of shifts and moves and whatever. And 
you know, there are comedians who I assume, perhaps erroneously, that are busier than others, you know, and so some of the access that everybody's business is a little more visible because of social media stuff, right? Mm -hmm. So there are times where you can have either a good sense or, or even potentially a false sense of how often a particular performer is booked based on what they're showing from a social media standpoint, right? Yeah. Um, so how does that affect even booking, thinking outside of hosting and featuring, but how, do, how has that affected booking headliners over the years? Are you guys more looking at the internet and what kind of numbers they have on there as kind of guiding the booking as opposed to just maybe more of a buddy system? Well, so uh, so two things I think have ch substantially ch changed um, and not necessarily for the better. Um, it was easier at an earlier time in the business to make a living as a feature on the road, right? So the old model was you, you, you could certainly become a host in your hometown. You could find enough time to develop. You maybe could do that as a feature as well. It was much harder to, within one community, really get to the point where you'd say, I'm doing this amount of time in the city that I started. And, and again, I'm excluding, obviously, <laughs> you know, notable exceptions to that. But for, but for the most part, right, um, to go from being a open micer to a weekend headliner in a city like Atlanta. Not saying it couldn't be done, just saying it was harder mm -hmm. from a full week club booking perspective, okay? But you could get out on the road and start making money out on the road. And you say, well, I feature here, I feature there, I feature wherever. That started to change a little bit and, and clubs started using more locally based features, which meant fewer opportunities for somebody to get out on the road to work. And then, you know, so we, we bought the club in 2003. So even just between 2003 and now, I'm certainly talking, but even prior to that, um, it was rare that the headliner brought an opener. Hmm. And it was really something that you earned. So at the point at which you're selling out the weekend, you're adding shows, you're at the top price point, and, and you're the headliner and say, and I'd like to bring my opening act. Go, well, of course, you're, I mean, look at all the business you're doing. That's way less the case now. There are people who are much newer to headlining and we'll hear from the agent to say, and as part of the deal, we want to bring the, they want to bring their opening act. Hmm. And it's a, and it's, some of that is driven by the fact that there isn't as much feature work out there. So they're trying to bring a friend that they like, or, a, or you know, they just don't want to be in this particular city by themselves or whatever it is. So there's no harm in asking, but it's definitely gone from the, you earned your way, right? So in one of those fictitious, like, this is the industry saying how it's done, right? Uh, you earn your way to, <laughs> to earn your way to bringing an opening act, right? To it's now filtering down to basically say, do you care if I bring somebody? You know? Okay. Um, and then depending on, and we frequently ask, who are they bringing? Right? Before we say yes, who are they actually talking about bringing? And is it somebody that we would, we're really comfortable with doing that amount of time? Because, you know, we've, all of us can be skewed about our peers' abilities sometimes, right? You can say, God, my buddy's hilarious. Totally. And then you see him in a different setting, and you're like, huh, that was <laughs> seemingly less than hilarious, right. potentially. <laughs> um, so, 
But a lot of that's changed, right? I mean, think about all the different places that host shows now. I mean, a city like Atlanta yeah. is way, way served from a comedic, perspe comedic perspective in the kinds of shows that we see in concert, the number of venues that you can go see, mm -hmm. comedy performed in. I mean, you, the, the, I would argue the um, notion that any club is a gatekeeper to access to the fans of comedy in any, in any community is becoming way less tenuous than it used to be. It's right. got to affect the business, too, and make that a lot harder to corral people in here when there's shows, like, every night of the week. Uh, in some respects, you know. So people are still... So, so look, you're... Um, I would... Is it fair to say that your intention is that you're growing the fan base, the regular listener to the podcast? Yes. Okay. Is it fair to say that the person who is a regular listener to the podcast is a fan not just of who you have as guests, but also the way in which you conduct interviews and the way your humor is expressed on the podcast. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. And if that all goes correctly, at some point, you can then build into your dates a recording of the podcast at the venue as you travel around from location to location. Yeah, Right. for sure. And that's you building your brand, right? Mm -hmm. And getting some identity and some validation. So... All of that then helps you individually. Once you're in control of that, then you can move from venue to venue to venue, right? So mm -hmm. I'm, in some respects, while I am a full-time comedy club, on another context, I'm a venue, just like any other. And so from the business perspective of an individual performer, does an appearance at my club, in contrast to an appearance at a different club, make business sense? And many comedians want to have more control over, they don't like sort of outsourcing audience acquisition to a club. They'd rather say, I'd rather own the whole business. And so I'd, self, I'd rather go self-produce a show. I'd rather build an alternative stage to see what I, what I would like to see and what I believe comedy should be about. You know? right. So all, all of those things sort of have their own place in the ecosystem. But ultimately, it's up to a person like yourself as the individual performer to say, what do I want my business to look like, right? What am I trying to do with these talents that I have as a comedian? So the same thing with a club in the sense of like the people you book and the kind of audience you want to draw. Because I guess there's alternative rooms, but the people that go to alternative rooms wouldn't come to the punchline anyway. So it's like a different clientele almost. Well, okay. So different I would target. So let me say this. If a person chooses, if a person is a regular visitor to the punchline and says, I don't want to go to an alternative comedy venue, and what I, I actually prefer to call them non-traditional, oh. a non-traditional okay. comedy venue. Okay, very right? official. Okay, yes. Okay. Um, to go to one of those spots because uh, they're unfamiliar with it, or uncomfortable with it, then I would suggest that they're running the risk of missing out. Right, that, that you may very well see a terrific show with comedians that you very much enjoy. Mm -hmm. By the same token, if somebody says, well, I'm not going to go to the punchline because that's an old-fashioned model. Like, who goes to a comedy club? Right. I want to I do it this way. Yeah. I would say you're equally doing yourself a disservice, that you're, you may be skipping exposing yourself to a performer who you really enjoy, right, and who you may very well become a fan of. Um, and then hopefully... If the 
non-traditional venue may give greater opportunity to a person who's newer to their career, then over time, you may both transition together. So the person who may be younger and their material is more oriented towards the experiences they're having at that age, as their lives change, their material changes. And so too should the lives and relatability to that material of the audience, mm-hmm. right? So you yeah. should you so you both should be basically, in some respects, moving together, right? Yeah. So, what are some since you've been owning this since two thousand three, and this being one of the most well respected clubs, I mean, in comedy, what are some of your maybe favorite memories or like moments with like super successful comedians? You're just like, wow, I can't believe this is happening. Like, do you have any favorite stories of that? Uh, so. You know, it's been an interesting experience, right? Because I, because starting as a comedian, I had to. It was really a great experience. So some of the more, some of the favorite stuff, right? I was doing open mic nights as an open as a brand new comedian at the old Comedy Act with Earthquake and Don Curry and Arnez and Bruce Bruce. Mm -hmm. um, Then having the opportunity some years later to bring those guys for the first time to be headlining at the Punchline. Uh, which made no sense to me. These are these are some of the funniest, most talented comedians that you're going to find out there, and that for whatever reason hadn't had an opportunity to be to be on the punchline stage. So it was really kind of a neat thing, right? Um, and uh, you're you're always t- taglining, right? We made it, right? We yes. did it, right? Yes. Um, yes. So hashtag we made it. Yeah. Um, so to <laughs> me, that was kind of one of those things to be like, dude, yeah. can can you believe this? Right here, look at what we're doing, right? Um, it was. You know, I've had the good opportunities over the whole time that I've been doing comedy to have some kind of neat experiences. Um, what I think a lot of people miss is for people who are performers. So any any profession where you have to travel for a living mm-hmm. is by nature, I think, hard because you can always be by yourself in some circumstance. So one of the things that I think comedians often experience in the same way that people who are musicians experience who are on the road is when you go to some city and you see that your buddy is playing at a venue across town, right? And you're like, ah, there's somebody here I, who I can connect with, who, who knows something about me, who knows something about what I'm going through. And it's like an oasis, right? Mm-hmm. In this refuge yeah. where you can be like, <laughs> awesome. And when you come back to a club, Right. And you and the general manager is the same and the bar staff is similar and the servers and the door and whatever. It's like all of this traveling that you do. There are some places that you can call home. Mm-hmm. And what I've been struck by over the years is how often comedians talk about how much churn there is for them on the road. So they'll be at a place. They'll go back six months later and almost everybody is new. There's no familiar faces from the last time that they were there within the last year. Uh, and that's not really been the case at the punchline. So, uh, and that is a testament not to myself or my partners as owners of the club. It's really to the people who are forming those relationships with the performers on a night in and night out basis, you know? Um, and the, so I think the, the audiences have always been terrific in Atlanta broadly. They've been awesome at the punchline specifically, right? So the performers love to come to Atlanta because they know they're going to see good audiences when they're at our club. Yeah. Um, but, but more importantly, 
it's the relationships that they've made over the years with Marcy and Reggie and Al and Jason and Doug and Terry and Kathy and go on the list, Ron and Dave and everybody all over all of those years that that made the club work. You know, I've got to go back to you working with Earthquake and Bruce Bruce yeah. and all this. You've working in that side because it is weird, like you're saying, getting these amazing comedians onto the punchline stage like comedy is segregated for some reason in the sense of like there's like clubs where it's like mainly black people and there's clubs where it's mainly white people and there's some crossover but a lot of the time it can be segregated like that and i know from working urban rooms as well getting booed is a part of that so i'm sure you've got to have some sort of boo story i uh so i'm sure i have some boo, boo story i probably have blocked it out um i've probably <laughs> oh, forgotten okay. it over the years uh -huh. um so you've the never very, bombed the epic bomb you started the whole interview by talking about <laughs> how uncomfortable it is for you to watch me on stage, right? How you I never how said you, that. You implied. I said confidence. You completely, no, you said I, it seemed like I had confidence. It wasn't saying you are confident. You're saying I don't, you, you have a misperception of what goes on for you up there. Um, so I, I had no idea that the Comedy Act, the day I picked up the phone to call comedy clubs, to figure out how you, I didn't know the vocabulary of amateur night. I didn't know the vocabulary of open mic. Uh -huh. I just simply called and said, how does one become a comedian? <laughs> right. And, and thankfully I'm a reasonably decent listener. And they said, well, we have amateur night. Ha <laughs> Okay. Uh, oh, we have open mic night. Oh, okay. I got that. Um, and I, uh, went down to the comedy act. That was the very first place I ever went up on stage oh, was wow. at the comedy act. Okay. And I had, and it never even, um, we were in the club when you go to sign up at that time, you're supposed to be there before the club is open, right? So I'm down in an empty comedy club, much like the one we're sitting in right now, and you would have no way of knowing who the audience members were going to be sitting in an empty comedy club, right? Mm -hmm. So I would have no reason to assume that there were anything other than people who wanted to see a comedy show. And I look at one of the table tents, and it says uh, Atlanta Comedy Act Theater, uh, Atlanta's premier black comedy club. And I thought, oh, okay. <laughs> Uh, didn't it uh, didn't say well now i shouldn't be here right i just thought oh that's interesting but again being a complete neophyte to all of it i had no idea of what anything that was about this kid going to emory coming down from new york just going to the comedy club Mr. i'm <laughs> just gonna go try this i had no i had i had written a couple of notes i had no i had no idea what i was doing mm -hmm. uh but uh, the comedians who I met that evening couldn't have been nicer, um, did not make me feel anything like I was out of place at all. Uh, I got probably only one laugh from that set mm -hmm. um, on a line that was really just kind of a, my style then was very similar to the style now, which is I'll just go up and start saying stuff um, uh, okay. and gradually figure out what's the stuff to keep and what's the stuff to stop saying. Uh -huh. um, so that was in the fall of 1991, and a couple of weeks later, so I'd been up maybe two or three times, and I had this, um, which was uh, a little bit of the fashion of the day, um, a multicolored, like, um, you know, Oxford shirt like I'm wearing now. So the collar was maybe green, and one panel on the chest was blue, and the other channel oh, was yeah. red. Crappy. And like some weird Alexander Julian colors uh, Benetton right. deal, right? Um, so I would wear this shirt every time. 
to the comedy act thinking I need for people to know who I am when I come up on stage. I want to be able to remember me. Right. So I wear the same thing. Um, and I had these horrible uh, white-ish rattlesnake skin Jeez. cowboy boots, <laughs> right, that I would wear. And it was, it was, uh, it was really quite the thing. So I've been up maybe three times at the Comedy Act and had yet to be up at the punchline or anything. And I'm on the train at the airport getting ready to fly home. And this woman stops me on the shuttle at the airport and uh, says, excuse me, are you, are you a comedian? And I'm like, well, <laughs> look at this. I've only been on stage like a couple of times. Are they being recognized? Uh -huh. And uh, I said, well, well yes, yeah. I am a comedian. And she says, um, you know, I've seen you before at the Comedy Act. Uh, and you're not that good. <laughs> oh, nice. But you should stick with it. Like, it was, this, it was the nicest, like, attaboy, like, don't get yourself down, little fella, you know? Yeah. Um, and it was exactly the kind of thing that everybody experiences the first time somebody says, hey, have I, have I seen you, right? Like, um, of course you have. Why would you not have? Yes. Right? <laughs> what why took would you, you so long? To, yes, I've been here the entire time. <laughs> um, so... But what was always a little bit of a challenge to me, and I never quite understood, is there would be a whole crowd of folks. So uh, Comedy Act's open mic was Tuesday night, and the Punchline's open mic was Tuesday night. And there would be all sorts of folks waiting to sign up at the Punchline. And then the list would come out, and either you made it or you didn't. And, and then I would go to the Comedy Act, and I would sign up at Comedy Act. Nobody else was leaving from the punchline to go down to, to get up. And you could get up. You just had to sign up. You, mm -hmm. would, you would go up. Likewise, there was nobody at the Comedy Act, really, that was leaving Comedy Act and going to get up at the punchline. And so that never made any sense to me because the best lessons I learned were just be yourself and just be funny. Mm. Right? Yeah. And, that's a, and it sounds so simple. But it's really hard for people to execute sometimes. Just be yeah. yourself, right? Because there is something, what makes, what makes somebody laugh when I'm wanting them to laugh is different than what makes people laugh when you're wanting them to laugh. We're both doing mm -hmm. the same thing. We're both wanting the same physical reaction from a stranger, right? If you think about it, the awesome part of laughter is it's the only thing that's a surprise, Right. Hmm. It's the only thing that catches you off guard. If I were to go, I'm about to tell you a joke. You'd be like, you'd tense, you'd feel weird. You'd start anticipating. Right. You'd, it's got to be a little bit of a surprise. Um, and so being yourself, doing those things that are naturally the things that lead people to respond favorably to you is sometimes the hardest part of comedy, of getting in that comfort zone. It's why it's why it takes sometimes so long for people to figure out how they're supposed to write. You know, mm -hmm. what are my jokes supposed to sound like? How, what, is, what is really material that sounds credible to an audience when I say it? What are some major mistakes you see comedians making they can maybe learn from? Um, I think that comedians sometimes, newer comedians, get too attached to the words that they write, that they go, I wrote these, and so these must be the right ones. Mm -hmm. You know, the, the, uh, if I was to get, not everybody does it, but I would encourage comedians when they have the opportunity, particularly when they're starting out, don't just audio record your sets, but, but get a video 
you know, film it on your phone or whatever. Um, because when you go back and listen to the set, and if you really listen to the set, right, um, and watch it, you'll see that it wasn't just the words you said, but you made a gesture you haven't made before, right? Mm -hmm. And that maybe was something that you were missing, you know? And, and you know, um, that was something, I had the good fortune, so, you know, DePetta would um, let me, I would go up to his club, so it would be like somebody in here today having the mic and the lights on, practicing their material with a camera set up and just reading the bits and talking them out loud and being in front of a microphone. And then I'd go back and I would watch the video of, of you know, trying to work out these bits, you know, and- Just I, you in the room? Just me in the room with a camera and a whatever. And I just wanted to be able to see it, uh -huh. you know, to see what it was that I was, you know, doing. Um, and I, for me, I found that helpful. But certainly, if you watch people sometimes on stage and you think of all of the extra stuff that they're doing, right? If it's a person who's just pacing back and forth and they're really doing it without purpose, you know, why did you walk in that direction? Right. What were you, what were you, were you going over there to do something, right? It don't, it, was it just to engage the audience? Was it to not, you know, bore them in a place where there's a little bit of a, a lull and whether you're transitioning from piece to piece or whatever it is, you know? Mm -hmm. um, I have a great respect for, you know, um, comedians who are much more physical on stage than I am. You know, there are certain things that don't come particularly naturally to me or within my, with what feels comfortable for me. Um, so I love watching somebody and go, God, I wish I could act a bit out as much as they are, yeah. you know? Um, but an audience without fail will laugh when it's funny. <laughs> right? So yeah. yep. do Bottom more line. of that. Do more of that. <laughs> do less of all the other stuff. Do more of the stuff that gets them to laugh. Well, before we get out of here, thank you so much for your time. I First know. First of all, the interview. Listen, if we started without a beginning, yeah, there can be no specific endpoint. I'm assuming we're just gonna take these headphones off, set them down. You're gonna leave the thing on, and we're just walking away. Well, we we can leave. I mean, no, you didn't. Just you didn't tell me room. when it's, it, we we. You know, it's. I, what happened, Jamie? Where, where'd you go, man? I'm we were, right here. We I'm had right positive here. momentum. Right we are. It's still positive momentum. Okay. We're still doing a great time. I'm. I'm told uh, this is perhaps going to be your most listened to episode ever. That's what I've heard. I've heard. Is there a current champion? Who's the current listen um, champion? Uh, Miss Pat, I think, has the most. She's formidable. Miss Pat has. She's formidable. Yes. Okay. But I think. I what think made that the most? Growing. What do you feel like it was that made that the most? Well, because she just has such a unique story. And her okay. personality and a uh, loyal following as well. Okay. I think she just has a lot of engaged fans. So if this episode doesn't do well, is that is that kind of on me? All the episodes do at least enough. There's like a nice core listenership. Okay. I don't want to be below enough. I don't want to be the I don't want to be the bottom side of the average. No, I think is there's something specific that you'd recommend to, you know, pull it up onto the positive side of the average. Well, it's all about learning on here. So if there's anything else and, it, you know, a lot of comedians listen to this. So if there's okay. anything else from a club owner's perspective, club owner's any perspective. wisdom or facts or tips that you could <laughs> bestow upon young comedians or more seasoned comedians, just things we may be overlooking or mistakes we're making, just whatever. I know you like to pontificate. So maybe well, pontificate there's another bad some. word. <laughs> Pontificate but is a no, good word. No, that's a terrible word. When is pontificate, other than in the context of the Pope, has that been used positively? Pope, right now. Pope is allowed right to now. pontificate. He's the pontiff. It was Everybody just, else, when you say, oh, you're pontificating, right? 
When is that a positive? When is that? It was meant to be a positive. No, it was not meant to be a positive. It was. You are. I'm telling you, Joel. You are. um, Like it's not. I don't think it rises to the level of like being passive aggressive. But there is definitely an. There is like a. um, I almost feel. Okay. Like you have a regular listener challenge. Where you have said, how many of these words can you use quietly attacking Jamie? And if you can get them all in, there's a reward. Pontificate? That's a terrible word. It's a SAT word. You know, yeah, I was just trying but, to which sound is smart. why I understand it's yeah. a bad word. <laughs> I understand why it's a the what the uh, the intention. Let me tell you how much I enjoyed your set. There was that one period where you were pontificating. <laughs> And and do you go? Oh, that must have been a great set. Or do you think? Oh my God, that sounded horrific. But I hear I, I say pontificate and say, okay, I'm asking you this question, and I know you like to elaborate and be thorough in your response. So please don't leave out any details or tips you could provide to the listeners. Okay, that sounds much more positive. But right? it's so much more loquacious as opposed to pontificate. You know, word economy, brevity is levity. Bre- so yeah, I just but, tried to hit but, it all uh, in well, one word. except for negative connotation. Pontificate is an unfunny word. <laughs> It has no place in a in a podcast about comedy, right? Religion podcast, possibly, right? Well, maybe uh, elaborate or um, delegate. I got it. No, the all again. Uh, this Elaborate's a good word. Right. Just be a, anything else. Be helpful. You, How about you be helpful to be somebody helpful. who wants yes something out of it? All right. Uh, so here's what I would say: if you are a Local comedian, Atlanta-based comedian, working on honing your craft and getting better. We are 100% supportive of that effort. Uh, We embrace the idea that there are a lot of opportunities to get on stage, and everybody should avail themselves of that. Uh, There is no, if you are here, you can't be there list. Right. Mm -hmm. There is no part about that that I think any comedian should ever invest themselves in and nor should they support an environment where a club says, I'm you are a local comic. You are a host at this club. You can't be a host at my club. Right. That's Mm -hmm. ridiculous. Um, Usually, if you are not getting up on stage someplace, it has nothing to do with you personally. So you should not interpret something where if somebody you go, I haven't been up there and you'd be like, well, they don't like they hate me specifically. No, there is there is more likely than not. There is nothing specific about it. It is more likely than not just um, it may be something. So, again, thinking about what we're trying to position as a business. Right. So you alluded to it earlier with alt rooms versus maybe a room like ours. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I would say alternative venue because we, you know, look. Hannibal Burris has been on the punchline stage. Aziz has been on the punchline stage. Uh, we, you can pick Jim Jeffries. You can pick whatever point, Trevor Noah, right? Pick all of these different spots where you'd say not necessarily what somebody can, can, is in the Jim Gaffigan, Brian Regan, you know, whatever side of the equation or, or Bridget Everett being on the other side, right? We want funny on stage. That's what we like. Mm-hmm. The people who come to the club assume they're going to get funny. We've been around long enough to have demonstrated we have some ability to bat for average on that equation. And if you struggle with that, then I would say 
is what your product looks like right now, the way you're selling it to that audience, fit with the people who you find in the seats? And if the answer is no over an extended time period, then either that becomes important for both of us to fix, venue and performer, or we can agree, eh, we just don't sync, right? And that's not a knock on the venue or the performer, right? Everybody kind of has their own path that they choose to figure out how to navigate what it is that they want. Because at some point, right, when you go home at night, you put your head to pillow, you want to keep that roof over your head based on what it is that makes you happy, right? Yeah. Um, and that's true of anybody. That's true of the club owner. It's true of the if you're at a non-traditional venue, whatever that may be. It's true of those folks that are running that. And it's true of any other performer. At some point, I want to be able to do this as long as possible um, and, and provide the quality of life that I aspire to. Do you have an opinion on clean versus dirty? Uh, I would probably say that most clean jokes should still work when made dirty. And if by dirty, we're just talking vocabulary, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, as opposed to subject matter, right? Yeah. Um, and, you know, the dirty joke is sometimes made may not easily translate to clean. But would you as a club owner and somebody who understands the business side be like, if I, if you're not already on the dirty path, I would say start clean and just pursue that. Yeah, I don't know. I, well, so I don't, so again, I, I would say uh, it would be hard. I'm not the person who sees a dirty or clean. I mean, look, we've had people up, we've had people who are incredibly profane, right? Yeah. Who people laugh at and they think, oh my God, they're hilarious. Mm -hmm. And they don't hear them as being dirty in any way. We've had people who are clean as clean can be, and an audience member didn't like them, and they think that comedian was filthy, right? <laughs> so it's really, it's a, so laughing cures a lot. It, it sounds silly, but if you are laughing, you don't hear dirty. Um, what I will say is, is that dirty limits, it certainly limits the other places that I can use a comedian. We get a, mm -hmm. a good number of requests for offsite stuff. So to me, customer calls, corporate event, they say, we need a comedian, or we need two comedians, or we need three comedians. They often don't know what they want, right? We want one comedian. We want them to do two hours. No, no, you don't. <laughs> you, know, you don't want that, right? Um, but that's what they think that they want, right? So right. it's a little bit of an education process to say, well, what is it really that you're trying to accomplish? If it's a comedian who I see here at the club, and they are, from a vocabulary standpoint, are you know, fairly profane. It's going to be harder for me to recommend them to that client because what I need to say is, Joel, I'm sending you to the XYZ Corp. It's their annual luncheon. It needs to be clean. And you go, got it, Jim. And then yeah. you go and you treat it like it's second show on a Friday night someplace. I, I, you, they forget who you are, right? And they remember, oh, the punchline screwed us. Right. They ruin that whole they ruin that whole thing. Yep. And now it comes for Friday night and they go like, Hey, what do you guys want to do tonight? And it'd be like, well, we could go to the punchline and they're like, No, the, they ruined our company banquet. We're mm -hmm. not going there. So so to me, that's where sometimes I'm more challenged by um, filling gigs sometimes because the cust the client wants clean. Right. And yeah. and even if clean means which again, it's a silly thing. I'm sure you've been on those kinds of gigs where the customer says 
client says, we really need it to be clean, we really need no swearing, we need whatever, and then whoever the CEO of the company is drops a couple of F-bombs, and you're like, well, dude, what, what the hell? You had me book this clean, and, you know, Johnny F-bombs over here is, like, totally fine, right? I know it's his company and all, but, you know, so, uh, so, I, so I would say write jokes that you as a performer can tweak depending on the audience and have it be successful in both circumstances, right? All right. That's what I would suggest. Well, and I would suggest if you ever start yeah. a podcast, yeah. tell the guest you're starting. Don't okay. don't be in a thing where we're red light on, wandering around with some other kind of stuff. Conversating. Not even conversating. It's a it's a it's I felt like it's a surveillance tape. This is like part surveillance podcast. Well, you're on. I understand now, I won't, I won't but at the time the, period. So was, what was what was divulged? Just you walking around looking for the I like to know when the show switch. starts. I like to know when the show starts. I like to know when uh, when we're supposed to be having the conversation starting. You caught, you caught me a little bit off guard. But then once you tell people when it starts, then they feel like they have to start as opposed to just naturally starting. Then you just ease into it conversationally as opposed to like, okay, and action. How many times have we passed casually here at the club and said, Joel, if you would like to start a conversation with me, please tell me you'd like to start a conversation with me. Don't just start talking to me. Say, I'm here to have a conversation with you. See, never. And how many times have we had conversations? This is the longest one we've ever had. See what I mean? Yeah. And all I asked you to do was start to have the conversation. <laughs> Think about how much richer our lives could have been if we had just, if you had communicated an interest in talking to me. I've always had an interest, but like- You, you seem very aloof. I don't, I don't buy it. Well, that's, that's because you I'm not here You had to do an entire working. season of Rob Hayes. You had to do yeah. the entire season one. First hundred episodes. Yeah, because Rob books me. I do. Rob lets me do shows with him. I don't really get shows here, so that's why this was. So I this is this was... is this the quid quid pro quo podcast? What? Is that what this is? Is that what this is? Is this the scratch my back, I'll scratch your podcast? No, not at all. No, I mean, not, you're, not... sounding, you're setting it up to basically well, say. I like what you said earlier about it's not a like you're telling comedians if you're not getting booked it's not a personal thing against you. And totally I was, not a personal thing. I interviewed the owner of Uptown and he was like it's nothing personal about like well we don't want to support his dreams it's like we have a list of comics and we just pick from them out of convenience and like not having to go out and search for people it's just a time thing. Yeah. I'm going with what you know. Yeah. So it's a so look I uh, when I've seen you on stage right yeah. you're a funny comedian. Right? Oh, thank you. Yeah, you're not. With that high pitch. Like, oh, thank you. You're yeah, you're not, you're not. You're not. You're not. Joel, let me just, let me, let me say. And I want you to hear me when I say this to you. Okay. You're a really good comedian. Oh, thank You're funny you. on stage. Thank you so much. Right? Am I going to be get famous, good gigs. Jimmy? That's up to you, man. Am I going to be the best to ever do it? It's up to you. You got to be the best in your own mind, right? The comedians <laughs> that say, I am better than anybody, right? Uh-huh. Think about, so in an athletic standpoint, coaches want who on their team. They want coaches who want the ball at the end of the game, mm -hmm. right? I want, throw the ball to me, coach. I'll catch it, score the touchdown. Yeah. Let me take the at-bat. I'll get the base hit to win the game. Put the ball in my hands. I'm scoring the final bucket. As a comic, you got to want the microphone at the end of the show, right? Yeah. I don't care who's up in front of me. I should have it last. I just give want it, the microphone you, right now. If you now. give it to me first. No, you want it last. I do, but I need to get on stage first. I mean, yeah. here, well, I can't okay, start so out don't, at the end so of the So that's the other fair, okay, so in fairness, then, which is where we began, be respectful of the time that mm -hmm. allotted, right? So if you are only given 10 minutes, then don't do 15 and hope that the last three really dazzle, 
to the point where they go, God, I'm so happy that they went long. Right. Because I was really <laughs> totally pissed at them like three minutes ago, thinking, when the hell is this comedian going long? Oh, yeah. Right? Um, so, yeah. So don't, don't think you're taking the last shot of the game if you're the first one on the court. Gotcha. Right? Yeah. Oh, boom. Yeah. Let's, boom. let's hashtag that up. You took a shot there, Jamie. Took a shot. I banged the table, which was bad from a sound standpoint. Cool. Right? Yeah. Well, I'm here whenever you need me. I'm always happy to to help work, support Atlanta comedy. I know you are. I know. You're generally supportive of Atlanta comedy. Yeah, just right? a little bit. Are there parts of Atlanta comedy you don't like? Um, nothing really comes to mind at the moment. No? Mm-mm. Anybody you, if you've given the choice, you wouldn't work with again? In Atlanta? Yeah. No, I mean, any comedian, and I'm sure you know this from emails, is like any comedian with terrible like email etiquette, I just ignore now. Mm -hmm. Like if somebody's like, hey, let me get a spot on your show, I just don't even respond mm -hmm. anymore. Not even, hey, Joel, how are you doing? I've heard great things about your show. Do you have any spots available? I would appreciate it. But when people I don't even know just shoot me an email like it's a text message, like, yo, what's up? Right. Yeah, I don't, I just don't even respond. Right. Do you do the same? Not always. But do you feel like email etiquette is something that could be overlooked? Uh, I do. I mean, so it's your business, right? So yeah. you'd be professional, right? Mm -hmm. So if you called the pizza place and they uh, you want to order pizza, and they're like, yeah. You'd be like, yeah, I don't know that I should get pizza from here. <laughs> right. There's something that's a little, you know, even if they're, you know, a virtuoso of the pizza oven, <laughs> right? You may be like, I'm not, I'm not doing it, you right. know? Um, but yeah, but I th so look, do you get compliments a lot from people of the stuff that they do? Like when you're doing stuff, like are people generally favorable and positive? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because they should be, right? Yeah. I mean, like you've created a, a podcast, right? You started at some point. You thought, I'm going to try to do this. Mm -hmm. A lot of people start podcasts. Actually getting to 100 episodes, getting to 100 good episodes, getting guests, doing the prep work and all that stuff. It doesn't happen by itself, right? Yeah. It's more work than you think. And there's a lot of people that, that would say, oh, this is a piece of cake. Right? It really isn't. It's hard it's harder work than it seems. So it's to your credit that you you know, have, have built something that is recognizable and that people enjoy. I appreciate that, Jamie. Yeah. You're buttering me up here. Yes. I took a moment to pontificate there at the end of that too. Well, I appreciate your support in any way you can. Um, you should be doing live you should be doing live. We we shouldn't be doing this in an empty club. You should be doing this here. Well, we've right? talked about that too. I know. I keep talking about it, you keep passing. Well, uh, I keep I, like I'm sending you poorly worded emails. It's gonna be You're like not even responding. I don't hear from I don't hear from you, Jamie. It's every time, time you sit in here and you do one of these podcasts, I say you should really be doing this here and doing it live, right? And then nothing happens. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah, that's fine. Well, you I know. appreciate you letting me do the podcast here. And you should, you should, maybe, but do it with guests and, and audience. Yeah, okay, yeah. So I know, yeah. so you can make money on it. So we'll work on that. We'll work on getting no, that. No, but again, you're sounding... Okay, so wait a minute. Okay. So, no, yes. It's really... I don't... Is this, is, this, is, this, is this love of art? Is this... A, are you a 501c3? Or are you a money-making person? I'm a businessman. Right. Yes. Then let's sell some live tickets. I didn't say, like, sit here and do it for free. Right. Get the subscribers, the regular listeners, all the people who are, who are interested in the show. Mm -hmm. Get them out here. Yeah. Have we, them buy a ticket. We did a good sample one at my show, which was a good success. I'm so not, I think, I, listen. I th I'm just saying that I'm was not, a good sample. You want to start in the minors before you get to the majors, you know. No, so you know, you're you called up. Your way up. This is not, so you I'm get called call, up now. You get called up to the Braves. Right. And they'll be like, we're not actually going to have you bat because these are major league pitchers up here. 
Right. We just brought you up because the bench looked empty. We needed a couple more bodies for those shots when they show into the dugout, and we figured you look good in the uniform. Right? Right. That's not the way it works. You get up. You take your cuts. All right. Do oh, it. Well. Isn't that what you want to see, like, when you, do, you have a vision board at home, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know, you've got things on the vision things. board, yeah. right? You probably have Sold Out Podcast, right? There's people who come and do podcasts at Cobb Energy Center recordings of shows. It's incredible. They do it, right? Yeah. Wait, wait, don't tell me. Have you ever heard of that NPR stuff? Yeah. Right? That seems like it's going to stick around for a while. Sells out at the Fox. They sell at the Fox for Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. There's comedians on that show. Yeah. Right? Don't yeah. wait for somebody to make your business for you. You make your own business. Boom. Right? Jamie Bendel. Yeah. Okay. You're right. I, I will no longer wait on you to make my business. I will go forth. Oh, sweet Jesus. No, you I have never <laughs> I have I am not the gatekeeper of Joel's success. Exactly. Right. Joel is the gatekeeper of Joel's success. Exactly. Right. Exactly. So I feel like this was this, inf- this th- first of all, this is this is on its way to becoming an infamous episode. Yes. Right? This is not, this is not this is this is <laughs> When you when you have fulfilled your vision board, right. and you write the book, <laughs> that's about how I did it, right? Yeah, you're gonna drop the we made it. Yeah, it's gonna be I made it because that's what happens when you get more successful. You forget all the we's, right. And you turn it into the me's. Mm-hmm. Okay, so when you get to that point, and it's that I made it, Joel Byer story. There'll be a whole section about. Know where the light switch is, right? And it's going to be the story of this train wreck of an episode. This was a great episode. I think a comedian. It's possibly. A lot. The, I'm trying to give Miss Pat a run for her money. Right? I think. I think it's. Just, we've never had a. I've never had a banter like this on an episode, and I've never come out and just been like, you know. So what's up with that? Like kind of like Mark Maron. He interviewed Lauren Michaels and was like, yeah, I was never on. He like couldn't get over it, and I feel like I'm doing that right now oh. with the punchline. I, I honestly but, didn't know you felt that way. Yeah, I didn't I, because I wasn't feeling that way back towards you. But at, like you said, as comedians, we don't get booked and we think it's us. But it's it's really like we're you know we're the squeaky wheel. Yeah, but you also have wheel. stuff going on. I mean, admittedly, I assume you have stuff going on. So the yeah. not calling isn't out of disrespect. It's just an assumption that says, oh, they're busy, they're working, they got stuff going on. Yeah, you know so. Yeah, whatever. Yeah, so I got, all right, I got all another, right, I've got to go interview. Oh, Mary we Davis. made the peace. We landed. We broke the, plane. the pe- Do you want me to go ride with you? I can do. I can stick around for Mara's episode. <laughs> we can do that as well. Aren't you a lawyer? Don't you have to go to work? We're gonna do this for us. I cleared my schedule. <laughs> we'll do it for us. Come style. You're running. <laughs> I'm now running behind you, Joel. You're that guy. And now dun, I'm dun, running, dun, 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 right? Dun, dun, and then dun, dun. Mara is gonna run with us, and we'll all be running. And then, right? And then before you know it, we're gonna show up back at Creative Office offices, right? Yeah. This is gonna dun, result dun, in dun, followers, dun, right? Dun, this is the whole reason. Or some something about yeah yeah. That's what it's all about Atlanta. So it is about Atlanta. Atlanta is a great city. Go see more comedy. Support local comedians. Follow them on social media. Pay attention to the comedians that they say you should be go seeing. They know the business the best. And whatever you do, whether it's at a place like the Punchline or, or Joel Show at Java Monkey, you should be out supporting live comedy. Amen. Pope Bendel, thank you for being on Hot Breath. Go in peace. Yes. <laughs> All right. All right. If I, um, we just need a picture. Here, I'll stop it so you know. Well, there you go, Hot Breath of Earth. We learned a lot there. Thanks for hanging out with me. 
If you uh, would like to see me perform live, uh, not at the Punchline, but at my weekly Wednesday show, I'm at Java Monkey Indicator every Wednesday at 8.30. It's a free show. I'd love to see you there. But if you can't support me live, want to hang out online, joelbyerscomedy.com is a great way to connect with me or at joelbyerscomedy on all social media. You can also subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. It's a weekly podcast. Uh, you can also leave a iTunes review. That is greatly appreciated, especially if you found this valuable or quality or information-packed. Leaving an iTunes review not only feels good, but it also helps us get more exposure to people who may not have heard of Hot Breath before. So thank you for your support and all you have done as we are rapidly approaching 100 Hot Breath episodes. It's so exciting. So go on with your day. Feel refreshed, feel energized, feel knowledgeized with this interview. So, thank you, listeners. Of course, thank you to my engineer, Amon Garner. Thank you to, of course, Comedy Artwork for making all the artwork you see on my website and my podcast and my comedy show. So, definitely, last but not least, thank you to my wife, Erin Byers. She made the theme song and she made my heart song. So, all oh, running on sentimentality there. But anyway, please go forth, support Atlanta Comedy however you can, and I will see you next Monday right here on Hot Breath.